and welcome to our Truly Scrumptious podcast, where we talk food festivals, festival food, foodie friends and friends of the festival. In each episode, we will chat to some of our many friends, our celebrity chefs and bakers, food producers, festival team and other people involved in the festival world. We'll even hear some backstage gossip. It's a huge world. It's a hard-working one and great fun too, although a tad stressful at times. My name is Lottie Duncan, and I'm a food presenter, writer, and eater. We want to bring our food festivals to your door, your ears, your living room, and most definitely your kitchen. So draw up your chair, pour yourself something scrumptious, take the weight off your slingbacks, and join us within the world of food, festivals, and foodie types. Oh, what a tempting, terrific and tantalising episode we have for you this week. We start off in glorious Greece with a gorgeous Harry Lelousis where we chat olive oil and mustard and the best you can get. We discover how Kate Clark became Planty Kate and chat foodie festival force with the truly wonderful Joe Horn. So first up is Harry. Oh, Harry, gloriously foodie, seriously clever, and with an extremely knowledgeable palate. He knows all there is to know about mustard and olive oil, and although I only met him a few years ago, I feel I've known him all my life. Here I am chatting to him in his beautiful house in Greece. I say in, I was actually in cold old Blighty, and he was in his warm and sunny house in Greece. I was a tad envious over Zoom. Oh, Harry Lelousis, I have got you in front of me on the Zoom and it's going to be slightly delayed for everyone to listen to because you're in Greaseland, aren't you? You're over in Greaseland <laughs> and I'm in West Country, in the West Country of England. Um, so there's a slight delay um, on Zoom, but it doesn't matter because I just get to see your glorious face again. Ah, oh, that's so sweet of you. I love talking to you. You know that. I know. Would you? I was thinking back the first time I met you, and it was at um, a BBC Good Food show at Hampton Court, and I was said I was told that I was going to two interviews each day with a chap called Harry, and he is a, a mustard sommelier, and I was to talk to him about that and Mary Mustard uh, that you were working with. And this man came strutting towards me, dressed in black, with a pair of huge black Gucci glasses. And I thought, yeah, yeah, hi guy, love you. <laughs> and I said to you, love your glasses, you know, and you said, well, of course, you know, Gucci, why nothing else? I think it was, I can't remember what you said, but I just thought, this is fabulous. Anyway, we hit it off, didn't we, straight away. And, um, Absolutely. and you taught me everything there is about mustard, which we'll talk about in a second. And then I saw you at other, you know, food festivals. Um, so I think it would be worth just going a bit into your background, really, to talk about yeah. what you've done. Because you have had, so far, a very extinct, a very extinguished, <laughs> I didn't mean to say that, <laughs> a distinguished career. <laughs> so how did you start out? Because your family, um, I, your family are foodie, are foodies, aren't they? Exactly. I think in Greece they would probably call us food royalty, um, and that being because ever since I know our family existed, we always had restaurant, a restaurant in the village, and this restaurant is so significant to the people in the area where my father comes from that. Um, to this day, it is still a restaurant, and it can only be used as a restaurant because that's what he put in the deed. 
Um, so this is how far back it goes. And I think it was established somewhere in 1790, the first restaurant uh, in the village. So, so yeah, and then my dad obviously got the bug and his dad had the bug. And there's a bug in the family that the men cook uh, traditionally, not the women. Uh, so, so yeah, so I think because of that, whenever I go to the village, we have a couple of restaurants that we visit there. And my partner always laughs because he goes, when you walk in, they kind of stutter and they're uneasy because they're worried about what you might say about the restaurant. Oh, really? Oh, God. And where is it? It's in the south of the Peloponnese in a town called Neapolis. Uh, and uh, it's not touristic at all. It only gets Greek tourism. And uh, it's... Uh, I would say it's home to one of the most peculiar Greek food regions uh, for Greece, to be honest with you. In what, in what so, respect? So basically, the area has been um, distinguished because it's a uh, an organic region. So nothing can pass from there that's non-organic. So there's road checks to the farmers if they've got anything they shouldn't be having in the region. Uh, there's constant checks of the soil, and this has been happening since 1950. Uh, wow. So, yeah, so the region generally is a very foodie region. It's known to be the seafood region of Greece. Uh, and imagine, like, for Christmas and New Year's and Easter and all these great festivities where all of Greece eats lamb, we actually eat fish. Okay, and and a, and a big vegetarian diet is what I remember you telling me. It's as a massive, massive. People don't know that, but this is this is really funny that Greece is actually the biggest vegetarian cuisine in Europe, and the reason why most people actually associate Greeks with meat is because we're one of the countries that had tourism from very early on. Um, from the south of Europe. And when the tourists would come, now think of these tourists in like the 1920s and 1930s. These were people from Northern Europe. And in Northern Europe, they only ate meat uh, back in those days. So when the, the tourists were coming, the Greeks have a long perception that, oh, don't give the foreigners any of that because they won't appreciate it. So all the Greek cuisine, the goodness of the vegetarianism and, and all the beautiful dishes that we make because of the olive oil are hidden from the tourist. It's only recently that it's been back opened up because the Greeks always had this opinion that, oh, don't give them anything that's not meat because they won't eat it. I love vegetables and I love vegetarian food. I mean, I eat meat, but I just adore vegetables in every form. I can't get enough of them. So, and I had no idea about that until you told me. Because I, like you, I, well, not like you, but I, like you say, I assumed it was just lamb. Lots of lamb. Yeah. But no. No, not at all. Lamb was eaten only once a year if you were lucky. And it goes to the extent that in the Greek cuisine, every family has a routine. And the routine is you eat meat, modern Greece, okay? You eat meat once a, once a week. Uh, then you have to have once a, a week at least fish or two. And then you have legumes, legumes and vegetables. And I think it's because of the, the, the cuisine evolves around olive oil and olives, okay? Uh, I think the Greeks have olive oil running through their blood instead of anything else. And um, whatever you can cook with olive oil, 
that's what you eat. You, we call them actually olive oil dishes, like, um, I don't know, green peas uh, uh, in the oven with artichoke and, and lemon and just lots of olive oil. And then you, you just crumble some feta on everything and you eat it with bread. And that's that's a Greek cuisine. <laughs> yeah, God, sounds, I could just do that right now. My mouth was watering as you were saying that. So, um, so you, you come from a family of foodies and... The, the next time sort of I remember you telling me about was Divertimenti in London. You were general manager there. I mean, we uh, Divertimenti, the Schneidman family that opened Divertimenti, were the ones that established the cookery school there in Marlborough High Street. And it was the first consumer cookery school in, in, in the UK. Uh, if, uh, if I dare to say excluding Italy that had the tourism around it, really in Europe, that was the, the mecca of... Every chef had to go there. And I think what consumers didn't know in the background is our job was to actually train chefs how to be more personable with consumers because, you know, how chefs are grumpy out of the kitchen and rah, 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 they don't know how to explain things to anyone that doesn't know full on about cooking. So our job was actually to teach them how to really establish a connection with, with consumers and how to talk in a language that they would understand. So that was our job. I still think you need to do that when you look. <laughs> I look at so many chefs on programs, and they don't present. They're just looking down and they're chatting to the person they're talking to because they never need to present their craft, do they? Because it's all about barking orders out in the kitchen and telling people. So I still think you're very, very needed and very necessary. And also, interesting enough, I had a conversation with somebody about this Instagram. So a lot of people who present on Instagram. And they do their little films and everything. When you then put them in front of an audience, again, they don't know how to engage because they don't have to. You know, it's just them and a the camera at home. And suddenly they've got people with faces and looking at you and, and things and, and they forget. And so I think there's training is needed in there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what Divergimenti provided. That's what I did for years there. Um, and it is the Mecca, I think. It's been many times um, called the Aladdin's Cave of London. Like if you were looking for anything, I, I remember anything that would go on the big cooking shows that started, you know, um, uh, mid 2000s uh, and after suddenly the next day, that thing might be obsolete and it might have been sitting there on the shop floor for 10 years, for example. <laughs> <laughs> suddenly, oh, they'd all gone. <laughs> Famously, I think it was my, my most favorite and most one that's really distinctive in my head is the Crockenbush. Ah, yes. So yeah. suddenly someone used a crockenbush on a show and we had lots of different sizes of them and they were sitting there for years and we would dust them and dust them again. And then suddenly in one week we were sold out with an order with a requisition for about another 50 pieces. <laughs> <laughs> That's nuts, isn't it? When I was at the Cordon Bleu, because I went to a place called Winkfield Place in Windsor and obviously there was the Cordon Bleu in Marlborough High Street, wasn't there as well? We were told to go to Divertimenti for our copper bowls for whisking the eggs. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I still have mine. Um, I haven't used it for years because my shoulder's knackered. I couldn't whisk up an egg white with my arm if I tried now. Give me a give me a Kenwood, but <laughs> take the crunch out of it. But yes, we that's where we were told we had to go for that particular thing, and also the lovely copper jelly molds and and all those sort of things. I mean, I yeah. love for me that's like a crack house, you know. I <laughs> in a good way. You know, get you get me get me into a cooking shop, and I'm dribbling. I'm just oh, what can I have? You know, what can I buy? And I come out with things I didn't think I needed, but I have. 
drawers full of stuff oh. like that. Yeah, it's oh, it's just so exciting. So from so when I met you, you were no longer at Divertimenti. You were working for my mustard. Um, doing I was. The, yes, and you are you retrained with them to become a mustard sommelier and the only one in the world. Yes, um, and interestingly enough, the, I actually took that completely upon myself because when I started with Divertimenti, uh, sorry, with uh, with my the reason why they employed me was because I was a retail manager. I knew how to open stores. I had a background of opening stores. Um, no one really knew the foodie side to me, like, you know, how deep the food uh, industry was in my veins. And when I started with Mai and I saw that there was a brand that had, I mean, all the chefs in Divetimenti, whenever they would do the shopping list and give it to us, my master was always underlined as it must be my uh and i asked a, a friend chef one day and i said well you know why does everyone ask for my and he was shocked he goes ari it's the best mustard you can have in the world i was like okay i, I know you're french and uh, and you would uh, support it but is it true so when i started with my and when the negotiation started about me opening the first store in london and then the stores in new york I was shocked by the different flavors of mustard. Yeah. And I thought, what are you going to do with these? How do you bring all these flavors out? What, what, is, what is behind the French concept of having 38 flavors of mustard? Um, and sure enough, I got to work and I started making recipes with each mustard because I first needed to understand what was this company I was working for? What does this brand stand for? What do you do with it? And I knew the French understood mustard, but how do you tell the Brits and, and the, the Americans even more? How do you explain what do you do with mustard apart from just putting it on a steak? And that's when I really wanted to learn more and I got really deeper into it. And it got to a point where they were calling me from around the world to ask questions because someone broke out that, oh, if you want to know something about mustard, this is the guy you need to ask for. And then I was doing that for a couple of years. And then my ex-boss, Sylvie David, really, really big French foodie and uh, very international uh, French. Uh, there's a difference in them. Uh, she said to me, oh, uh, we went and visited the Paris archives. And there is the diary of the founder of the brand. And in his diary, he has the, the notes about opening the first boutique in France France, which was in 1774. And I thought, oh my God, that's so interesting. She goes, and inside was you. And I said to her, what do you mean? She goes, inside, he said, I want to establish mustard sommelier in the store to talk to consumers in Paris about mustard and for them to understand mustard more. So there was two clues. One was that there was a mustard sommelier. So first I went out and mentioned it. So what does a sommelier mean? And it basically means in ancient Gaelic, someone who holds the knowledge. Uh, and then that got transported into someone who transports goods around the world. And then in the 13th century, if, I, if I'm not wrong, or the 12th, the wine industry were naming people who knew the different wines in France the expertise as sommelier du vin. Ah, okay. And the world today thinks that sommelier is only for wine, where it's not. It actually means anyone who holds the knowledge. That was the first part. And the second thing that came out of it was, to my shock and horror, 
that the French didn't know how to use mustard. It was actually only the people of Burgundy, the people in Dijon, that actually knew how to use mustard. And Antoine Mai brought that to the Parisians and made it famous. And do you put mustard now in most of your dishes? I mean, every day, do you still put mustard in your dishes? Because definitely still do. And the reason why is, is, is because of the essence of mustard. Um, it's extremely healthy for you. It accentuates the flavors in whatever it is you're cooking because the thing with Dijon mustard specifically, it's made with white wine and the white wine makes it a bit more subtle. And because of the alcohol in the wine and the vinegar that they also add, when you use it in the cooking, it actually evaporates. And by uh, evaporating, it creates a gas, the sinister mustard gas, um, that when it actually comes out of the, the dish because of the heat, it pushes out a lot more of the flavour. So it opens up a lot more of the, the little flavour bubbles that might be in your dish and it brings it a form. It accentuates them. I didn't know that and I had no idea about the fact that it had white wine in it as well. I thought it was just a vinegar-based one. So going from mustard, you're now... Um, you're involved in the world of, of Greek olive oil and, and olives, aren't you? And uh, you can call yourself a, an olive oil sommelier. And last year, I remember judging with you at Great Taste Awards. We had fun, didn't we? <laughs> we had a scream. I mean, you know, you sit there and you eat all day. I mean, what's not to like? But I also had the best judging partner. I think I think in the afternoon I said, can I judge with him again, please? <laughs> so it was all day, wasn't it? But I learned so much with you um, as well about olive oil. And, you know, I, I have quite a broad knowledge of a lot of different things, obviously, when we're judging. But I'm always, I always wanted to know more and learn more about, you know, so mustard, for example. I've learned loads about that. But with the olive oil as well. And you were telling me about the, the, the levels of, and I don't know what it is now, it's the healthy thing that's in it. And you're supposed to have a drink of um, a certain type of olive oil every morning. And it sort of cleans you out, doesn't it? Cleans your blood. And what was that? So what it is, is you have oleanthic acids and you also have um, polyphenols, which is the main healthy component of olive oil. And it's fair to say here that... Um, People do need to be careful what's on the market. You should find a brand that you trust. Uh, ones that get awards usually because they're, they're actually really, you know, protected origin. Um, be careful of blends. Blends are not really great with olive oil. And the reason why I'm saying all this is if you don't have a good olive oil and you go drinking olive oil in the morning thinking it's going to give you the polyphenols you're looking for, you're actually not doing anything to your body. Um, you might actually be harming your body. Uh, so if we strip it down to, you know, strip the quality away and say, okay, if you have a very good olive oil that has high um, polyphenols in it, that is a young olive oil, so it's not more than two years uh, pressed. Uh, it's mark of two years, you use it only for your cooking, don't actually put it on your salads. Uh, then you do get all these really great components, health components that olive oil has to give you. And the name of the olive oil, uh, the, the good name that olive oil has made for itself, that it's healthy, this is when we're talking about olive oil, this is the type of olive oil that is healthy. Uh, if you don't have a good olive oil, like I said before, you're not doing anything for your body. And interesting, people have always, and this is something I sort of hooked on years ago, was about cooking with olive oil. And there was this whole thing about don't get it too hot because then it becomes... Um, 
bad for you. And and I was talking, I think it was to Sophie Grigson I was talking to about this, and she said, oh, what a nonsense. P- people in the Mediterranean have been cooking with olive oil for centuries, and they're absolutely fine. In fact, they're the healthiest people in the world. And I was like, yeah, that's very true. That's nonsense. Yeah. So it is, a- it is a nonsense, isn't it? Now, is that a marketing it- nonsense, do you think, to get the rapeseed oil <laughs> back it- in? It's actually not just marketing, it's propaganda. Yeah. Uh, and propaganda because olive oil has stood for many years as, uh, you know, a, a cooking oil. And then when they needed to promote canola and rapeseed oils and, and sunflower oils um, and also refined olive oils as well, I'm going to put in there, then they started telling people that, oh, it's not good and healthy for you to, to eat, uh, to cook with. However... On top of this, olive oil actually has a smoking point of 190 uh, degrees centigrade, whereas all the rest of oils have below 180. And the reason is that you that they don't smoke is because of the chemicals that are added to it and the way they're processed. Yes. So what's be- best? Is it best to have an olive oil that's going to smoke on you? or something that's not going to smoke in you, but you're going to actually add chemicals to your body because none of these oils are made naturally. Olive oil is basically, no one really understands this uh, until they visit an olive grove and they see how olive oil is made. It's a fruit juice. Mm, it is. Yes. Olives and it's juice. <laughs> yeah, that's very, very true. It is. And when you get an exquisite, grassy, peppery, slightly bitter balance olive oil i mean it's like I, i'm the word there's two words that really annoy me journey and passionate they get so overused but when you do get a really good olive oil it does take you doesn't it it does take it does. you on a little trip down a memory lane or down a lovely lane with olive you know lovely olive grove let me say say it like that um it could because you do have these sort of you know you do get that beautiful fresh grassy nose then the flavor of chlorophyll and grass and if you just get this beautiful little bit of bitterness this lovely little bit of heat that just leaves in your throat when you get an olive oil like that and you taste it there is nothing better no exactly and this is why we say with olive oil um now the legislation is we don't just check an olive oil based on its acidity level because you can well take an olive oil that's really nasty that's been sitting for like three years or something and they they can process it just like they do sunflower oil and they can actually add aromatics to it and you think you've got an olive oil because they can claim it extra virgin because of the acidity so now we've gone back and said no not just the acidity level but also the organoleptic profile which means the taste of it like you said the the smell of it um the actual feel on the on the tongue uh how peppery it is how bitter it is uh, how flowery it smells all these components are what we check to make sure that an olive oil is a good olive oil oh you are i just love talking to you about this you just make it (laughs) you know what you just make it so easy to understand as well you know and and you're right, people don't, I mean, people don't know enough about this. And they, you know, they get all the propaganda and they're told all these various things. And for me, I mean, you know, I cook all the time with olive oil. That's all I do cook, everything. It, everything gets, you know, cooked in it. And I've got, you very kindly sent me some um, of the gay, gay, gay what was it? Gaia. Thank you. I'll say that again. But really gay anyway, because <laughs> I'm managing it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 
best. But anyway, you very kindly sent me some. And I just, oh, it's just lovely. It's my favourite. And I, well, John and I are going to come and visit you in Greece. It's because I want you to cook for me. Actually, I want to cook with you. I think you and I cook together. Love. We'd have yeah. so much and fun. Be here, so you can stay with us. Oh, that would be bloody lovely. I'd like to do that. So this is a question I ask everybody. Okay, that's how I okay. interview for the um for the podcast. What is your Fifty Shades of Food? Okay, so think mm -hmm. the book, and think a little bit naughty, a little bit filthy, perhaps a little bit sticky. Something you want to eat on your own with the curtains closed, the door locked, maybe naked. I don't know, Harry, but just something which is just your own personal joy to eat. Mm. Now, it could it could be anything, and it could be something, you know, you don't really want to tell anyone about because it might be a bit, you know, dodgy. <laughs> right. Oh, well, I think I actually have a food in mind, definitely. And I think it's because of my childhood in Australia, and, and I just always think of it with, with great love and passion. I grew up in Australia and I was raised on the weekends. I would go to my godparents and my godmother, bless her, she's a hardcore Australian of German descent. And we'd go to the supermarket and she'd buy these horrible, 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 if I think of them now, but I do still love them, uh, processed sausages with a, with a, with a red skin on the outside I remember and she'd put that in a bun she'd, she'd put those in a microwave with some water and then she'd put that in a bun mind you I hate microwaves and I don't own one I have, never have but I would eat those from the microwave so she'd put it in a bun and she'd put loads of this beautiful Australian barbecue sauce but apart from that Lottie I think I'd love to share one of those with two people at the same time <laughs> One would be you, definitely, and the other one would be Nigella. I'd love to see both of your faces just, you know, do that roll, the eye roll of, oh, my God, so naughty but good. Naughty but good. Well, I tell you what, I actually quite fancy that. That does sound really lovely. <laughs> I, people, I always ask people the same question. They say to me, what's mine? I mean, <clears throat> I have lots of different things, lots of different things, but will you give me a Montdor or a Vacheron cheese? at room temperature and you just open that up I would slip myself into it feet first have a little roll around and eat my way out and that would be that would be quite messy I think but I do I one of those cheeses is just you know liquid at room temperature and oh my god a cheese I think is is my downfall I am a total cheese pig I love that yeah. I do think I love Love cheese. I love it. I love that idea. I mean, and I could totally see you doing it. I'm, you know, I'm really good with vivid um, a fantasy, and I literally pictured you <laughs> ro rolling <laughs> and around, <laughs> and then just sitting with my uh, my arms perched over the sides like a jacuzzi, <laughs> licking my lips, <laughs> wiping my face. Oh God, that's so good. And there's something. Do you have a sweet tooth? I do, yes. It's it's my downfall. So is it chocolate you'll go to or cake, patisserie? Um, I actually really like a very, very, very good pistachio ice cream. Oh, yes. Love it. A really good gelato made properly. Uh, 
yesterday I was really disappointed. I mean, love, we've moved back to Greece now, as you said, and we really love it here, but there's certain things that they just don't know how to do, like bacon or cream or, you know, beautiful, fresh vegetables and lovely olive oil and everything else you could ever dream to have at, at an arm's length. But then when it comes to other stuff like, you know, good ice cream or you either have to pay really a lot of money for it or not. And yesterday I wanted some ice cream and I went to the supermarket and I saw, I kind of picked out the one that looked more decent, brought it home, had a spoonful and chucked it in the rubbish. Oh, and why is it that they don't do ice cream so well? Or or cream, as you say. I mean, is there, is it not, is there not a lot of dairy in Greece? Um, I think what people don't realize about Greece is that it's uh, it has its its seasons, but it has a very hot spring and summer. So already, I can tell you in the garden, we've we've been sitting in the garden still to this day. You know, whilst the sun is around, it's still warm outside. Um, and dairy is is mainly based on goats and and sheep to make Greek cheese. Mm. Um, so you wouldn't really find vast amounts of, of let's say, good um, cow's milk here. And I think that's where the problem starts. Yeah. Like cream, Lottie, I can tell you, I've tried to make whipped cream, nothing crazy, just some whipped cream in Greece for the last six months. And unless I add corn flour or, or um, icing sugar to it, it will not thicken. It won't do it. Uh, but, do it. but sheep's milk though does make lovely ice cream because of the fat content because it's just it, they're naturally homogenized aren't they um yeah not the actual sheep their milk <laughs> their, <laughs> their milk is naturally homogenized so it the dispersal of the fat's really good so they do make quite a nice ice cream there but you're right you know there's nothing like a bit of cow double cream to make yeah Nice yeah. clotted cream. Thank God we've got a Marks and Spencer here that brings some food sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Harry. Well, thank you so much, my darling. And um, I look forward to seeing you. You're going to come back and do some judging, I'm presuming, this yes. year. So I'll, Absolutely. I will see you then. And, and, you know, if that coincides in June, why don't you come to our food festival? See if you can come and... Oh, absolutely. You've got to tell me the dates. Yeah, 10th and 11th of June. 10th so, and 11th, great. Yeah, for the Bradford one, and then there's one in September as well. But if you're over to do judging, come and, come and see us. Or just come and stay anyway. But then John and I are going to come and see you. We are, for sure, because we were talking about it. Well, We'd love to come. Muka, muka. I, just, I just, Yeah, exactly. And I just, want to, I just want to cook with you, Harry. I mean, you and I in the kitchen together would just be hilarious with a bottle of wine and a bottle of olive oil. Absolutely. <laughs> That's on me. And, <laughs> and I'll bring that cheese. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll get in there oh, together yeah. <laughs> all right my lovely well thank you so much and um and i will see you very soon talk to you soon you see he knows everything <laughs> and isn't he lovely now planty kate loves plants aroma essential oils and food this is why she loves our food festival all her favorites combined Right, well, we're having a Zoom, Planty Kate, aren't we? And I can see you in your gorgeous... Is that your sitting room? It is my sitting it's room. It's looking I'm upstairs. beautiful. I'm not in my workspace. I'm Aww. sat down, which is nice, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cup of coffee. And it looks beautiful behind you. You've got some plants and a lovely cosy sofa, and it's all looking gorgeous. Yeah. Oh, you can see that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can see yeah. everything. I can see I Ooh. can see into your yeah. home. <laughs> I can see everything. Um, so... I'm going to introduce you. You do um, beautiful home and beauty products. 
So you can do, you know, stuff for the body, stuff to make your home smell delicious. Um, and your Anything main... that tickles your senses. I love great scents, and that's what it's all about. Yeah, yeah just, and, and yeah. You, I mean, all of your stuff, we've got lots of your candles here. You very kindly Thank gave you. us some at the end of uh, the festival last year, but also I have loads anyway. And they do, they smell utterly delicious. And I would just want to know how Kate Clark became Planty Kate, because I just know you as Planty Kate. Everyone knows yeah, you as Planty Kate. And that's how I'm, I'm known locally, and that's what people shout at me in the village. Oi, Planty. Um, <laughs> so I became Planty Kate by complete accident. It wasn't planned at all. When I had my daughter over 10 years ago now, frighteningly, um, frighteningly, she, um, I was, I've never been at home so much and I've never just, yeah, had a baby strapped to me, cooking and, and when she used to go to sleep, because I'm a creative, when she finally went to sleep, um, I had to do something creative and I really got into growing plants and in the end, I had so many plants in my house, the kids, instead of calling me Auntie Kate, started calling me Planty Kate, and the silly name <laughs> stuck. Um, and that's how I accidentally became Planty Kate. Um, and then I had a stage of, I had so many plants, and um, I think it drove my husband at the time bonkers. So I thought, right, I'm going to sell some. And I started selling just plants by themselves that I'd grown at Froom Independent. And I, because I like working with people and I get my energy off working with other people, um, it sort of grew to I worked with a local potter who made these beautiful pots and then I started working with other people that filled uh, his pots with candle scents um, and somebody else that did like um, hand soaps and things and then I'm just like an interfering cook and I started looking at the ingredients and learning more about the ingredients and it's it's just like it's not it's not the same but there is similarities with food in that it you know you, the formulas are like recipes and I wanted to tweak these formulas myself and I was like well why can't I use that ingredient or whatever and I I enrolled on a natural beauty formulation course um to learn more about how to formulate and you know what I could put together and I and I just loved it I loved I love scent like anything that tickles your senses is my sweet spot um, and so, you know, uh, I started blending and, and, and learning how to blend scents so that you have top, mid and base notes. And part, uh, as part of that, I started making candles and burning them, drove all my friends mad, getting them to test candles for me and various tradesmen that were working in my house. They're very good at knowing some of the scents. Um, I, and it sort of organically grew that way. Um, and, and so... I started off with just the candles and then I added the beauty products. It takes a while to get them approved and formally signed off. It's a quite slow process. Um, and so that's how Planty Cake gradually grew. Um, and then since then, I've, I've worked with stockists, I'm you know, selling online. And I like doing events like yours because you get to pe meet people face to face. And I just love that connection. Um, and it's just great to get honest feedback straight to your face and and also just to see um how we're also individual different scents um hit different people's sweet spots it's like food everyone has their their 
preferences and and scent is such a personal thing um you know we all have scent memories that we associate with childhood or whatever and that's your sweet spots that you you kind of find comfort in and and so that's why when I did my candle range there's a broad range of scents because I know everyone has their own personal sort of preferences and, and moods and and that's what I like about it and I just like anything all the little touches that make your life a bit better and to me having a great candle burning eating something amazing you know they're all the little touches that make life brilliant or going in you know and I love plants so obviously going in in the garden is my other big passion yeah so it, it, they are absolutely wonderful and, and we I think I met you because I was recommended you by Holly from Scout and Sage Gin she's a very good friend of she mine is, yeah. yeah she yeah, and she yeah. phoned and she said have you thought about planting cake and I said well tell me about planting yeah. cake and this is when we were just starting up Bradford on Avon Food and Drink Festival it was our first yeah. year so I said yeah, yeah yeah no no definitely definitely tell me about planting cake yeah. so I gave you a, a, a ring and we had a chat through and I thought oh she's lovely she's absolutely brilliant so what we've um I think it was second year actually because what we've started is something called home at BOA so it's an area at the food festival which is home and it's children's wear it's clothing it's jewelry um, it's candles and beauty um and that area of home at boa is where you are and mm-hmm. and you've made a lot of friends because i remember one year so it was a hot year it was 2019 before covid I mean, yeah you met ellie ellie silver and, and i love ellie yes yep, and um friend. <laughs> she now she came and stayed with me last year she did when it was you know and that's the lovely thing it's it's a very friendly event and I think it's the people it trickles down from the top and it's the people and and I think that's the thing it's a really lovely community and obviously I'm amongst good friends already like Holly you know who jokingly calls me a second wife and you know <laughs> we are, and she literally lives around the corner so we are we see each other all the time but you know Ellie it's a lovely treat you know because I catch up with her at various events and and you know she'll come and stay and um you know and, and that's the lovely thing about it it really does feel like a warm community yeah it does and and the whole home area is i just love walking up and down because it's just different i mean obviously we have yeah. the food and we have the street food we have the artisanal and we have the drink and the live music mm-hmm. and all the, all the different things that go on at the event but just having that lovely little home area with all the different things i just think means that somebody who comes to the festival has a chance to buy a whole range of things and come away with yeah. it's not just food they can come away with items of clothing and lovely smelly stuff from you to me I think food festivals work really well for me personally as a business um, and I believe it's because if you really care about ingredients and you just you know to have your senses elevated that's kind of a little bit of why you're going to your festival I think often there's um a bit of a direct relationship so you might really be into your food but then because you know about ingredients and things you might really be into your scents and like the ingredients that are used in like natural beauty products it's that kind of passion of of ingredients and and so I think that's that's kind of why I've always felt you know food festivals are a good place for me yeah and where do you source your ingredients I mean obviously ethically Um, for sure (laughs) so I when I first started, I thought, right, I'm only going to source ingredients from the UK. And then I wrote down <laughs> all the essential oils that, that you know, were UK grown and realised that my scent vocabulary had dramatically shrunk. And 
and it was just too, too limiting. So I was like, right, okay, there's things that I can get in the UK. I can get all the packaging here. Um, you know, I, I draw up and illustrate the labels. I work with a local designer who lays them all up because my computer skills are my 10 year olds better than I am on that. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, the, the printing's done locally. I use UK vessels that are made in a part solar powered factory. Um, the ingredients, so where I can get essential oils that are grown in the UK, I use those. Um, and where I can't, I work with a very, very old, she won't like calling it that, sorry, I don't mean <laughs> no way, but, but a very well-established business who has traded with the same people for years and years. And I think, well, I know from my old-fashioned background that a long relationship with the supplier is a better one, um, you know, they'll because you understand one another well, they'll give you the best product. And that, you know, she's really passionate about the product and and it's well sourced. And I know that it comes from good sources and I like that. I want my business to be ethical and to be something that I'm proud of. And, and so good sourcing and good ingredients, you know, that's the very, that's the very um, base of what I do. Mm. Um, and obviously I use... I won't use soy wax because it's come all the way from the Far East and we have, you know, rapeseed wax here in Europe. Um, so I use European rapeseed wax. So some of it will come from the UK, some may be grown in France, um, but it, it keeps the air miles down. And I, you know, rapeseed as a crop is a brilliant crop. And so it's, for me, it's a no brainer. And this, the burn on it's really good. It throws well. So, um, you know, that's why I use it. And I also try and work with, um, local suppliers. I love repurposing ingredients or using local ingredients. So, you know, the guys at the Greenbird Cafe in um, uh, Margaret's building in Bath, they give me their coffee grains. That goes into the EOS coffee candle. Um, Salisbury Hill honey, I use their honey. I'm just sampling an amazing ham um, balm that uses propolis. Um, and I've been trying it out myself and I've got nails for the first time in ages. Oh, fantastic. Um, so, so yeah, I'm just, you know, and, and there's um, a rapeseed oil um, producer here as well. So they, they're the kind of people I want to work with. If, if there's a good ingredient locally, my God, I want to use it, you know. Mm. Um, and it's really that simple. Yeah. No, that's what's lovely. And and that's the same with food mm. as well, isn't it? I mean, when you get some really yeah. good ingredients, good base ingredients to make your dish, it makes all yeah. the difference. And it's yeah. exactly the same with you. So again, that's another fantastic tie up with food festivals, as you say. It's yeah. people people who understand good food also understand good products that you make. Yeah, that's my belief. Um, yeah. yeah. And it works mm. and it works well. So that's wonderful. Mm. Brilliant. So one last little question I always ask yes. everybody at the end of my, yes. my chats with them. Yes. Um, is, and it's food now. This is food. This mm -hmm. is uh, not smells, although you can do that if you want to. But, um, they're, but they're so linked. They're so like, linked, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I know it might be really inappropriate to say anything, but I think prepping a meal when you're not hurrying, uh, to me, it's a bit like foreplay. It's like you get so excited by the whole thing, and that's the <laughs> that's the food passion, you know. It is that's what. Um, Have you been you've been prepping some food then with your young man? By the sounds of it, not so. Neither of us are quite so young now, but, but yeah, we are like a couple of teenagers when we cook. Do you know what? He's such a pleasure to cook with, and um, my life is quite different. Where I would have been itching to go out and having these big nights, 
my best nights and my nights in candles burning cooking amazing food together and yeah. and I'm so happy with that so yeah my question Mm-hmm. What is your and I always try to say this in a slightly seductive way because I think it is. Um, yeah. and it's going back to your foreplay thing, really, I suppose, to a mm. certain extent. But what is your Fifty Shades of Food? Okay, so this is something, Kate, that you like to eat on your own. Close your curtains. Okay, lock the front door. Sit yourself down. You could be anywhere in the house. It could be the kitchen, the bathroom, sitting room, bedroom. Doesn't mm-hmm. matter where. But it's something a little sticky, a little naughty. Maybe you just want to eat this on your own because you might make a bit of a mess, or you might make the noises which are sort of really not suitable for other people to hear. <laughs> so something just a little bit, a little bit cheeky and filthy. What is your Fifty um, Shades of Food? Do, do you know what my biggest pleasure with food is sharing it? I can't say that eating by myself brings me as much pleasure as it does sharing the experience with friends or with someone to me that's that's a big part of the pleasure like the sharing aspect of it um and I would say my 50 shades of grey is more about food food not your 50 shades of grey I don't want to know about that (laughs) you don't want me to tell you that Lottie can I not tell you About just shoving something in my mouth. I've got to have the build up. You've got to have the build up. You have <laughs> to have the yeah, place, do, you yeah. say. You have to be, yeah, yeah well, okay. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to push um, you now, though, because I want to sorry, know. Yes. So, that... sorry, I'm, just, I'm, I'm getting to, I'm just getting over the foreplay. So, <laughs> so, my thing is as well. Are we into the full, the full moment yeah, now? Yeah, I we? have to set the mood. Yeah, and okay. I have discovered my partner has introduced me to pajama suppers. Oh, no. And, and so, I'm all for I those. To, yeah, so I have to say, laying out my coffee table with the very best cheeses and charcuterie and pickles. Uh, and my mum's really good at making those kinds of things. That, that is my big hit. And not having to go anywhere for the evening, a bottle of red wine warming by the wood burner, fire on, curtains down, pyjamas. That is my ultimate. And it, it's not glamorous or anything, but oh my God, it makes me happy. Totally so, agree with you. Totally, so totally think, agree. And also, I have to round all of that off. I've got a weakness for these chocolate truffles. And, and my, my meal would have to end with those as well. Mm. Um, so they're all my favourite things, basically. Yeah. Um, and it's not just one thing. I have to have the whole... The whole lot. <laughs> so it's just it's cheese, experience. it's charcuterie, wine, pyjamas and chocolate. That is your 50 shades yes. of food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Well, I'm, I'm totally agree with that. Well, Kate, it's just so lovely to talk to you. It really is, and to um, learn a bit more about your business. And I think, yeah. I think you will just go from strength to strength because I know you're developing stuff all the time, aren't you? And you, yes, you're I love, about I your... love the creative process of it yeah. all. And um, and there's always a new scent to tickle me. And and because I've been gardening as well a lot alongside um, doing my business, that's kind of really inspired me. So all those smells in the garden, and that I'm so ready to like. I want to do some new scents because, yeah, last summer just filled my head with these amazing things and they're sort of itching to get out now. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wonderful. Mm. Well, it's great and I will see you very, very soon and thank you so yeah, much Yeah, thanks, Lottie. On. It's lovely to speak to you. Joe Horn is one of the directors of Tame Food Festival and has been involved with it for many years. 
She heads up the volunteers, our foodie force, recruits them, looks after them over the weekend and organises their very detailed and busy timetable. But she's so much more than that. She's a great matey of mine and also an amazing support during setup week. I usually leave John and her to mark out the stores and infrastructure. This is a time-consuming, physically hard job and the pair of them are whizzes at it. I just get in the way. And, surprisingly, I can be quite annoying. Hey, eh, John? Yes. <laughs> Joe, listen, I've known you a long time. You have known me a long time. Um, I try to forget about that. <laughs> I've known you a long time. And um, I've just tried, I was trying to think the other day, is when I had cookery demonstrations, that noise in the background, by the way, is the gator going off. Mm. It's John going off on me. We're all jealous because we always love the gate, don't mm. we? We we've fight got, over it. Yeah, we've got two this year, though, so we don't have fighting. Here he goes. There he is. <laughs> um, yes, I came along to one of your cookery demonstrations at a beautiful mansion house. Yeah. And I brought my mum along, my dear old mum, who's not with us anymore. And we had a wonderful time. We watched you cook and demonstrate, and then we ate what you cooked. It was fantastic. So and for ago. some reason, I liked you and wanted to see more of you. And you didn't get food poisoning, which was no, a bonus. No, really. it was a bonus. It was a bonus. <laughs> and that, so that was a long time. And so anyway, over the years, since we've done Tame Food Festival, which is where we are, obviously, at the moment. This is the big festival in September in Tame in Oxfordshire. And since we have done this festival, you've been on board as the director. Yes. Since we took it over, really, sort of the running side of things. Because mm-hmm. I mean, when did you cut it? Because I came on board as a sort of as a patron, and then I became a director, and then... I helped out a bit, and it's sort of just a form of osmosis, really. Things changed. And yeah, I mean, came on board. I mean, I reckon I've um, probably been here about six years. No, we've been up here on the showground for six years. You've been there longer. Oh I think my about god, eight, eight nine years. <laughs> okay, God, are you that old? No, you are. Oh, I'm still quite young. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so we did all of we we've done that, and since we moved up to the showground, it's become this massive event. With lots of infrastructure, which is what we're putting in at the moment. And you not only help with all of that and the setup and the marking out, but you, you take care of all the volunteers as well, because we have a great foodie force. We do. We have an amazing foodie force. And every year they pull out the stops and put themselves forward. Um, they're, they're really a fantastic bunch, actually, because, you know, we don't really speak to each other not intentionally of course um from one you know from one year to the next and then i can literally send them a message a couple of months before the food festival and they're all on board and they work really hard really really hard as volunteers so i'm really proud of my foodie force actually and uh, we're looking forward to another stonking year this year um yeah you run it so well as well because you know you're so slick you get your spreadsheet and everyone's got a time and you look after them they have their own volunteers tent they have lots of you know tea coffee sandwiches like refreshments they come in in the morning at six o'clock and you've got yeah we look after them them. and we make sure they get plenty of breaks and we also make sure they've got enough breaks where there's several hours for them to actually enjoy the food festival because that's the reason they're here not just to volunteer but they actually love being part of the local community event um and actually enjoying what we have to offer because it's not just food here is it I mean there's the humble country tent with all those amazing
amazing gifts that you can buy. Um, there's the music to listen to. There's the interviews, the demonstration stages. So it's a shame to get to the end of the day and find that you've been stuck on a box office all day. So that's why I make sure that they don't do more than sort of, you know, short stints and then they can go off and enjoy the food festival. And, you know, there's always a ticket for a loved one as well. Exactly, exactly. That's what's so good. But you, you get a chance to go off, don't you? Yes. I mean, obviously, I want to make sure that everyone's in place where they should be. And uh, they're all pros. They all just get on with their job now. So that's fantastic. Um, but I also enjoy to see all of those things as well. So I, you know, make sure I go around and support all the stallholders, um, spend all my cash with them. Yes, good. Day. good. <laughs> Lots of gin. Um, yes. That store seems to get a good battering from me. <laughs> I pretend it's gifts for Christmas, Whatever. but we get to Christmas and then no one's got gifts. <laughs> I love everybody in the team because I think we've got such a good team now. We have. It's a real A team, right from you guys, the volunteers, all the people that help with the setup. You know, even down to our contractors as well, because the contractors we've been using, we use another festival as well, the Scrumptious Food Festival, and mm. it, it, you know, they're just lovely, decent people to work with. And when you mm. have a really good crew, it makes everything so much easier because you know you can rely on them. You know they're going to turn up when they say. You know they're going to do their job, and it just makes it a lot less stressful because there's so many other stresses around there. So if you have core team that are great, it's all good. I think you know when you work as a family. Because when you get really arsey and tell us to <clears throat> off, we still love you. We still come back for more. That's what I did this morning. Yeah, we just go, it's all right, Lottie, there, 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 there. And then within minutes it's over and we're all back to we're normal. All fine. That, That's re- family. You're referring, of course, to the person today who said, um, have I got my gazebo and tables that you ordered for me? And I was like, um, <coughs> did I? Yes, anyway, it was all gay. Everyone was just trying to tell me, and, you know, well, have, you, have you phoned them? <laughs> we all thought we knew better <laughs> oh no it's just the way it is so yeah no it's great we've got such a good team and I think that makes it all so much more pleasurable mm. and this weekend thank god we've got good weather we have got really good mm. weather do you know what I think we're going to have the best year yet I mean you know that gorgeous humble country tent is going to have um, additional wing to it which means there's more stall holders so there's more to offer for the public um, so there's more gifts to buy know. you know Christmas gifts. oh yeah and we've got the drink stalls we've got the cake stalls we've got we've got every sort of sort of you know delicacy um, and taste tantalizing goodies for people to come along and have a look at and of course there's so many samples that people can try uh, and of course in the street food as well with all that scrumptious food that I, I really look forward to I when I go to, when I have my break that's where I stomp to is street food <laughs> yeah I always try and get in early I quite often have it for breakfast because otherwise I don't get a look in for the rest of the day because of the queues yeah I know and yeah. I and I try and flash my high vis <sighs> so that they'll go yes come to the front of the queue but it never works you knew what you need to flash instead my love you might get better luck oh <laughs> Now you've said that, look out this weekend. Get your tickets here, kids. <laughs> well, see, the thing, the important thing about food festivals, I think, is just you keep developing them and you keep adding to them, and that's what we do here in Tame. We just keep making it more interesting every year and adding a new feature. So we've got the Festival Village this year, which um, has got three really good, um, well, four really good, exciting things in it. We've got the big cookery stage. Mm. Uh, which we've renamed the Queen Elizabeth Big Cookery Station Wonderful. this year. Bless her heart. Um, and we've got Fun Kitchen cooking workshops for kids. We've also got the Masterclass Marquee where you can learn to make cocktails and cheese and 
tea and uh, the other one, chocolate. Mm. Yeah, we've got chocolate going on. And also we have the food, uh, glorious food interview tent where we interview our food producers all weekend. And you're right, it has really grown. And when you think that we're still... Um, holding on to the the ethos of the Tame Food Festival, which was always to support those artisan producers that are in their kitchen trying to make it work, and you're giving them a platform in order to do that. And some of those some of those um, food producers, producers from the very beginning are now in supermarkets. Mm. You know, they had found their way, and obviously some of the bursaries that that come out of it every year because we're now offering a, a bursary winner, um, they get professional advice from a chef as well, and they get money towards getting their business really off the ground. Um, and I sometimes think people forget about those sort of things. The actual ethos behind Tame Food Festival is still as important today as it was when you started it yourself with, what, six stalls in the town centre? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't one of the first people that started it, um, but it was six stalls around the town, around the Tame uh, town hall and then that grew into uh, sort of it was it, it wasn't quite such a festival I think in the town I think it was more of a market because it's a very big market but we introduced some stages so we mm-hmm. made it slightly more festival like but it has changed a lot since it's come up here well I mean it's, it's yeah. grown enormous hasn't it mm. so you know obviously which is the reason why we had to move it of course but you know the um, the showground offers so much for the public um, and it means that we have been able to add so much more on, so people can easily get around um, and see all the different stalls, um, see what we have to offer, all the gifts, the music. You know, there's, it's a real wonderful family atmosphere here now, mm. and that's why I love it so much. It really is wonderful. Yeah, well, we love you, darling. You're Thank brilliant. You. You're lovely. You can come again. The only reason I, you know, what do you mean it? I can come again? I've tried to get out of it every year, but <laughs> every no, year, every year she tries, <laughs> <laughs> and I say you are not leaving anyway thanks again thanks for everything you do darling thanks for having me joe you're the best you really are and that's it for this week another cornucopia of foodie talent a smorgasbord of fun laughter and lovely people next time we have a corker of an episode for you it's an italian foodie fest we chat in cornwall with a cornish italian that is ugo we discuss our pr and marketing of the events with a very gorgeous rachel And we regale all things deliciously Italian with a very wonderful and truly scrumptious Gennaro Contaldo. See you then. you like listening to our podcast we just love producing it if you think you know someone that would enjoy listening to it too please share and pass on please like and follow us on the platform you listen with we are on instagram truly scrumptious podcast and of course there are our festivals where this podcast stems from bradford on avon food and drink festival and tame food festival website links are on our profile but just google them and you'll find us and buy tickets to visit thanks again for listening